Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, if you want to donate, if you donate $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and From John to Justin, and on social media. If you donate $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by you with your name at the start. It's also stated it's sponsored by you on social media. If you donate $20, you get everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And if you donate $50, you get everything from the $5, $10, and $20, plus you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. You can also donate at buymeacupofcoffee slash craigu, and all of these links will be in my show notes. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to Bairdo37. And if you like, you can find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. You can also find transcripts of every episode I've ever done on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. Well, we're on part four of five, looking at every single election in Ontario's history, and it's been a long journey. Now, this episode is going to be the longest one yet. In fact, it's the longest episode of any podcast I have ever done. So I really hope you guys enjoy it, and if you do, I'll support the podcast through donations if you can. And if you can't, that's okay too. I just like the fact that you guys are listening. 1955. After nearly a century now, the Conservatives and the Liberals have been in a back-and-forth battle for supremacy when it came to provincial politics in Ontario. For the Liberals, they've been trying to return to power since 1943, and the Progressive Conservatives were right in the middle of a political dynasty that would not fall for another 30 years. Leslie Frost continued to lead the Progressive Conservatives and the province. Over the previous four years, Frost's government had expanded its schools, highways, and hospitals. In regards to education, his government continued to expand education at every level. From when Frost came to power to the end of the 1950s, his government would increase the number of universities from 4 to 12. The investment into education, which was $13 million, would be $250 million by the end of the decade. His government would invest heavily in the economy and begin constructing the 400 series of superhighways. The money going to the highways would be a contentious issue during the election. The Kingston Wake Standard would write, quote, In the last two or three years, several million dollars of the Ontario taxpayers' money was shoveled into the various contractors' pockets without any practical gain to the electorate. These contractors working on highway contracts have in some cases been prosecuted and in others have been shielded by their political accomplices. End quote. Ontario's Premier Leslie Frost was the special guest of London newsmen at the opening of the London City Press Club. The function was attended by a galaxy of distinguished visitors. Mr. Frost officially opened the club and in his comments spoke to men who enjoy freedom of the press about a greater freedom and the lack of it in half the world today. But I think that the, the great challenge of 1958 is this. Are we going to be able to make democracy compete in a world, in a world to use Lincoln's famous word, word 
in a world half slave and half free. Now, friends, I think that that was the great challenge of last fall, at the time uh, the first uh, 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 space missile was put into orbit. The fact of the matter is this, that we had half of the world that was able to marshal its forces to do a certain thing, and that we have the other half of the world which is governed by the wishes and the varying currents of democracy. Friends, that is a very great problem and a great challenge. Most notably, Frost's government would introduce the Fair Employment Practices Act and Fair Accommodation Practices Act, which govern laws against the discrimination of people based on their race, ethnicity, or gender. The Ontario Liberal Party decided to go back to a former leader, Farquhar Oliver, in the hopes that the party would reclaim some of the glory from the Mitchell-Hepburn years. Oliver had been in the legislation since 1926 and was last the leader of the party in 1950 when he was ousted. He would return to the leadership position on April 9, 1954. Oliver would state in the election that it was time to kick Frost out with, quote, a lusty clap on the back and a kick in some other part of the anatomy, end quote. Oliver would also attack the Conservatives for their slow work to enact hospital insurance. He would state that the government wanted health insurance but wouldn't implement it because they stated there was not enough hospital beds. He would state, quote, They've certainly had plenty of time in 12 years of government to build more, end quote. He would also accuse the government of corruption in the construction of highways, but Frost would respond that Oliver was making statements without any foundation of truth. He would state, quote, He no welcomes before the people making statements which he never made in the legislature. In fact, I had to prod him to say anything at all, end quote. The Cooperative Commonwealth Federation would now be led by Donald C. Macdonald, who had come in as leader on November 21, 1953. Macdonald was coming into the party at its lowest point. Only 10 years before he became leader, the party nearly formed the government, but now only had two seats in the legislature. At the time Macdonald became leader, he did not even have a seat in the legislature. Now, there were rumors that the Social Credit Party would enter into the Ontario election, but they chose not to, stating they had no quarrel with the government. McLean's would report June 11, 1955, quote, Provincially, they think Premier Frost is conducting affairs to most people's satisfaction and that there is no particular reason for turning him out. Therefore, they don't propose to waste any time or money trying. End quote. The election was the first in history where television would begin to play a role. CBC would permit its television stations and privately owned ones to be used for political purposes. All the political parties in the election would be given free time on the television network for political speeches. In the June 9, 1955 election, the Progressive Conservatives increased the majority by four seats to finish with 83. This would be the last time the Progressive Conservatives would have more than 80 seats in the legislature until 1995. Frost would say in his victory speech, quote, My first words here among my friends and neighbors are of gratitude to the people of Victoria and Halliburton, who again have given me their confidence. At this time of their great endorsement, which is rated a great political victory, I accept the verdict of the people with humility, conscious of the responsibility which this mandate carries. End quote. The Liberals would rebound slightly, picking up three seats and finishing with 11 to form the official opposition. The CCF, under its new leader MacDonald, picked up one more seat in the last election to finish with three. That extra seat came courtesy of MacDonald, who was elected to the legislature. MacDonald would state, quote, there is no use in kidding. It's a big disappointment. 
In the industrial areas where we thought we'd get in, we just didn't. End quote. There was an expectation that over 2 million people would cast a ballot since 2.9 million were eligible to vote. But only 61% who could vote would, with 1.7 million casting a ballot. Some recently enfranchised indigenous of the Six Nations Reserve would choose not to vote. They stated they would boycott it because they stated they had their own constitution and they wanted to protect their treaty rights. 1959 As Ontario entered its last election of the 1950s, the man at the helm of the province, Leslie Frost, was hoping to win another majority government. Frost, who had been the premier of the province since 1949, was still extremely popular and its government continued to expand various projects in the post-war boom for Canada. His government had introduced voting rights for the Indigenous and began the process to turn the federation of the old city of Toronto into metropolitan Toronto. It had attempted to get control of income tax from the government, but it failed, and it introduced legislation for equal wages for women, who are now working in larger numbers. When the writ was dropped, it dropped on the exact same date as the 1955 election. The election would also fall only two days prior to the 1955 election. Frost would say when the writ was dropped, quote, It is all part of a dynamic economics creed. More people, more industry, more jobs, more wages, more opportunities. End quote. Frost was also starting to get a bit long in the tooth and was approaching 65. He had been involved in provincial politics for the previous 22 years and was getting ready for retirement. Before he could do that, though, he wanted to win one more election. The Liberals, continuing to try to organize themselves after nearly two decades out of power, were now led by John Wintermeyer, who had become the leader of the party in 1958. He had been elected in the legislature in 1955 in a close race against his progressive conservative opponent. The NDP were once again led by Donald C. Macdonald, who hoped to bring the party out of the depths and give it more of a say in the legislature. The Progressive Conservatives were hoping for big things with this election. The Federal Progressive Conservatives and their John Diefenbaker had just won the largest majority in Canadian history the year previous, and there was the hope that support could swing to the provincial election. Throughout the campaign, Wintermeyer would promote several policies including universal Medicare, more improvements to welfare assistance, and full funding of Catholic schools. During the campaign, Macdonald would actually do quite well in terms of gaining support from rallies. The largest rally of the campaign was when 2,000 people came to hear him speak at Massey Hall in Toronto. He would state that, quote, If we develop the resource of this province, there should not be a single soul living in poverty, end quote. The CCF wouldn't just attack the Conservatives this time, but also levied attacks against the Liberals in hopes of getting their voters. At one point, just before the election, Macdonald used the words deceit, election bait, political thievery, and a grab bag of election gimmicks to describe the Liberals. Macdonald would state, quote, The Liberal platform is one part political thievery, one part retreat from its own trial balloons, and one part deceit. It is an attempt to deceive the people of Ontario. The Liberal platform does not give any hint of where the money is going to come from. End quote. The election was especially heated, more so than in previous elections. Frost, generally seen as level-headed and not quick to anger, would actually attack two Liberal MPs in a speech, as well as MP Paul Martin. MacDonald would attack the Premier over the Northern Ontario natural gas issue, while Wintermeyer attacked Frost for failing to implement the Labour Relations Committee recommendations. He would call it the facade of postponement, and he would state, quote, Frost is afraid to do something in election time for fear it might upset the apple cart, end quote. At the federal level, various individuals would speak about the Ontario election. 
Ellen Fairclough, the first female cabinet minister in Canadian history, would praise the agreement announced by the Conservatives during the election to give immigrants the same social and welfare benefits available to other residents. On the flip side of this, Liberal MP Paul Martin would call it nothing more than an obvious pre-election arrangement. Wintermeyer would also challenge Diefenbaker to enter the election campaign to defend his tax-sharing arrangement they had made with Frost for the province. He would say, quote, Premier Frost and Mr. Diefenbaker are afraid to bring the issue squarely before the people of Ontario. Is Mr. Diefenbaker afraid to come into the province today after the promise he made two years ago? End quote. Under the agreement, Diefenbaker had promised more tax revenue to Ontario during the 1957 federal election, but only $14.9 million of the proposed $100 million a year had been paid. Wintermeyer would call it simply window dressing. Through the election campaign, there was the belief by some that the Liberals would see a great success after 18 years of Conservative rule over the province. One Liberal hopeful MP, Archie Laidlaw, would state, quote, There is a substantial evidence of a desire for a change from the old, frost-conservative government to a Liberal government with young, vigorous leadership and fresh ideas. End quote. Unfortunately for the Liberals, it would be more of the same in the election. In the June 11, 1959 election, the Conservatives lost 12 seats, but since they had such a large majority in the previous election, they retained their majority with 71 seats over the other two parties. Frost would state, quote, We lost a few to the fortunes of war, but I'm pleased with the result. Anything over 68 seats is good. That was the way I figured in 1955. I was surprised then we got 83. I'm going to have some fun now for a couple days, end quote. Oddly, even though Frost was re-elected in his Victoria riding, a riding he had won continually since 1937, his opponent, Liberal John Nesbitt, refused to concede. Eventually, it was clear he had not won, and he was forced to concede the election to his opponent. Wintermeyer and the Liberals were able to make large gains in the election, doubling their seat count from 11 to 22. With the increased seat count, Wintermeyer was happy, even if his party didn't take the election. He would congratulate Frost and state, quote, we will work to get the government to enact at least some of the legislation we proposed in our election campaign. MacDonald and the CCF also saw an improvement, rising by two seats to finish with five. He would be carried off on the shoulders of his supporters. As for the election, he would only say he wished Frost well. He would add, speaking of the Liberals, quote, We raised the issue and the irony of it is that the Liberals were able to take advantage of the anti-government trend we had created. End quote. 1963. When the 1963 election rolled around in Ontario, the man who had led the province since 1949 was no longer the leader of the Progressive Conservatives. He had retired in 1961 after several decades in provincial politics. He was replaced by John Robarts, who was born in Banff and therefore the only Premier of Ontario to not be born in Ontario. And he had served in the Navy during the Second World War and was elected to the legislature in 1951. In 1958, he gained his first cabinet post, and in 1959, he became the Minister of Education. On November 8, 1961, he became the new Premier of Ontario, and many considered him an unknown man, and many didn't even seem to know much about him. It's been a very trying day, and I do not intend to speak for any length of time for this wonderful, wonderful convention complete. I realize the great sacrifice it has been for a great many of the delegates who are here from far parts of the province, and I uh, thank you uh, for your devotion to our party in attending. 
I would like to express my thanks uh, to, and the thanks of all of you, of course, uh, to Elmer Bell, the president of our association. I will pledge myself to continue, to attempt to continue, to give Ontario the finest administration it has ever had. With the heritage that has been left to us by Mr. Frost, we have a real basis upon which to work. There is a great deal more to be done, and with his inspiration and the example that he has set for me in the years in which I have been in the legislature, the years that lie ahead will be a challenge to all of us. It'll be a challenge to our skill, it'll be a challenge to our ingenuity, and it will be a great challenge to our ability to provide the economic atmosphere uh, to encourage the industry, which is so much a part of our economy and which will be so important if we are to continue uh, in the vanguard of Canada. McLean's would write, quote, Robarts is so adept at keeping his family off the hustlings that his wife's face is less familiar to his electorate than Mrs. Khrushchev's. Many people who voted for him can't even pronounce his name. Even Leslie Frost accents the wrong syllable first. End quote. The Liberal Party was once again led by John Wintermeyer, who hoped to continue the trend he had started in the last election and gain more seats for his party. As for the CCF, it was now gone, but not really. Like on the federal level, it had been renamed and revamped as the New Democratic Party. And while the party name had changed, the person leading it had not. Since 1953, Donald MacDonald had been the leader of the party, and that would continue through this election, as he hoped to increase his party's seats once again. The Conservative Party's advertising strategy was built around showing Robarts as a decent man. McLean's would write, quote, during the election campaign, by conveying the impression that he was somehow above politics, he made the then-provincial Liberal leader, John Wintermeyer, look boorish and unprincipled, end quote. A major topic in the election was organized crime in Ontario, which was an issue the Liberals pushed heavily in the election. Robarts would state, quote, In Ontario, there is organized crime, but no syndicated crime. The one joy I took from the special report of Mr. Justice Roach on crime in the province was that, sure, there were a couple of rotten apples in the barrel, but the rest are all right, end quote. Robart's method of answering liberal accusations of organized crime and corruption in a fatherly and firm way actually gained him votes on the issues, rather than hurting him. Robart's was also popular enough that even the Toronto Star, for the first time in its entire history, told its readers to vote for a progressive conservative. The NDP would try to gain some votes by attacking the Conservatives over corruption as well. Macdonald would state that no provincial government in Canadian history has had as many scandals as the Progressive Conservatives of the previous 10 years. He would state, quote, The situation has gone from bad to worse because the provincial government has persistently tried to cover up rather than clean up its own mess. End quote. Arguably the biggest issue was the proposal by the federal government to create a Canada pension plan and how Ontario would fit into that plan. At the time, Robarts had a proposal for a portable pension plan. Wintermeyer would state, quote, If the Canada pension plan stays, great chunks of the Robarts pension legislation will have to be cut out. The guts will have to be ripped out of it, end quote. Wintermeyer would demand that Robarts give a clear yes or no if Ontario was continuing with its own pension plan proposal. 
Robarth would fire back at Wintermeyer, calling his campaign nothing but vilification and falsification. He would state that the gloves were off in a change from his usual laid-back campaigning manner. Robarts would state, quote, Mr. Wintermeyer was left without a leg to stand on, without a feather to fly with. One would think he would have learned that you can't make progress by throwing mud. End quote. Federal Health Minister Judy LaMarche would get involved in the election campaign over the pension plan. She would say of Robarts, quote, I'm not sure where Premier Robarts stands in regards to the Canadian pension plan. One should scrutinize very carefully exactly what it was that the Premier said in the meeting. End quote. Wintermeyer would be very happy that LaMarche was getting involved in the election issue. He would state, quote, Miss LaMarche's statement fortifies and substantiates the position I've taken all along. End quote. Federal Progressive Conservative leader John Diefenbaker would also state, quote, Well, her intervention in my last election campaign proved very helpful to me. Unfortunately for me, they withdrew her two days after she started. End quote. Robarts, for his part, would state that he was open to amending Ontario's pension plan to that of the federal system. He added that it was an issue that the Liberals had injected into the election. He would state, quote, Probably if I hadn't called an election, we'd have gone and worked this out. I have no worries about our ability to do this. I'm quite sure that after the election is over, I can sit down with Prime Minister Pearson and we'll come up with a good scheme. Good for Ontario and the rest of Canada. End quote. Religion would also become part of the election campaign, albeit briefly. Wintermeyer was Roman Catholic, while Robarts was Protestant. Wintermeyer accused Robarts of injecting religion into the election by stating that Wintermeyer was trying to set religion against religion. Wintermeyer responded, quote, Now with the help of the Tory press, he has in the last few days attempted to exploit religious prejudice. Well, I think it is an act of a desperate man, and I am not going to answer him, end quote. As the election approached, George Wallace, a Liberal candidate in Renfrew North, charged Conservative campaign workers with pressuring deputy returning officers in the election to help the Conservatives get elected. He stated many were promised jobs if they campaigned for the local candidate. Wintermeyer would tell supporters that he could see the Liberals picking up 62 seats of the 108 in the legislature. He would state, quote, With a Liberal government after September 25th, Ontario will take her rightful place as the banner province of Canada, I have confidence in the people of Ontario. They know things are not all right at Queen's Park at this time. They are concerned about the future. Quote. Sadly for Wintermeyer, his seat estimate was way off. In the September 25, 1963 election, the Progressive Conservatives won their seventh consecutive majority, picking up six more seats to finish with 77 in total. Robarts, with his first official election win, was jubilant. He would state, quote, I need hardly to tell you that I am deeply gratified by the result of today's contest, and I desire to express my appreciation and my heartfelt thanks to those who have made our success possible. End quote. Speaking on the dispute over the pension plan with the federal government, he would state, quote, I repeat my offer of full cooperation with Mr. Pearson, and I repeat again that while we regard it as our first responsibility to keep Ontario strong, we are equally determined to do all in our power to keep Canada united. End quote. Wintermeyer would help the Liberals to once again increase their seat count, rising two seats to finish with 24. Unfortunately for Wintermeyer, he would lose his own seat, and that would be the end of his time as the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. The Kingston Whig Standard wrote, quote, Mr. Wintermeyer, hard-hitting Kitchener lawyer, was silent on his future after the returns overwhelmed him Wednesday night, but colleagues said his career in politics appeared finished, end quote. 
For Wintermire, he found out his father was deeply ill only hours before he lost his seat in the election. He would say, quote, I just can't understand it. We thought we were all right here. It is just like being hit, eh? End quote. The newspaper at that point said he simply trailed off. Prime Minister Pearson would state simply that he had regret that Wintermeyer had been defeated. He would state, quote, I have high regard for him. End quote. Wintermeyer, in his resignation speech the following day, stated, quote, I feel that I should leave no doubt in the mind of the party or the public as to my position in view of yesterday's conclusive result. End quote. Lamarche would also comment, stating, quote, Of course, I am a liberal and I like to see the liberals get elected. End quote. Wintermeyer would later go on to work as a director of a television station in Kitchener and serve with the Canadian Olympic Association before he tragically passed away in 1993 from ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. As for the New Democratic Party, they would raise two seats, finishing with seven, as the party slowly began to climb back to respectability. 1967 the year 1967 was a big year for Canada. Not only was it the Canadian centennial year, but Expo 67 was also held that same year in Montreal. Both of those topics have been covered on my other podcast, Canadian History X. It was also an important year for Ontario as the province went into another election on the 100th anniversary of its first ever election. After winning his first election in 1963, John Robarts stayed on as the leader of the party. Over the previous years, he had become a supporter of Medicare after initially opposing it, and he believed in Canada having two official languages, and he would work to have the French language education offered in Ontario. I don't think it is necessary that one should, uh, should work uh, in order to uh, be kept alive in our society. And with the increase in our means of production, it may be that we are now sensing the first beginnings of a situation where our ability to produce may be such that there may not be productive work for everybody in our society. In which case, I doubt that any of us would take the attitude that if you don't work, you don't get paid, or if you don't work, there's no place for you in society as it may be. Uh, to relate this to the whole question of a guaranteed uh, minimum wage, which I or guaranteed annual income or negative income tax, however you choose to describe it. I, uh, I gather that this matter has been pretty thoroughly discussed and probably you want to know what my reaction to it all is in order that you may compare that with certain reactions that have been given to you by other people who've been here. Uh, we referred to this in the budget uh, that was presented in the Ontario Legislature in 1969 as something that we thought should be examined very carefully. My own approach to it is, I think that it, uh, I think it offers an infinite number of possibilities, uh, uh, which uh, all should be carefully investigated. Education was also a major focus of his time as Premier of Ontario, especially over the previous six years before the 1967 election. He would be responsible for the construction of five new universities in Ontario, the establishment of the Ontario Science Centre and Ontario Place, and the creation of a teacher's college. His government also began a major movement to the use of nuclear power for Ontario's power grid. The Liberals, still trying to build back to their glory years of the 1930s, were now led by Robert Nixon. Choosing to go with a young leader with the name recognition, the party chose Nixon. His father was of course Harry Nixon, the former Premier of the province, and he was elected in 1962 to the legislature following his father's death. 
At the time, he was chosen as the leader of the Liberal Party in 1967. He was 39 years old. But Nixon wasn't actually the first person chosen after previous leader Wintermeyer. Andy Thompson was chosen and was expected to lead the party in the next election. Unfortunately, in 1966, he was involved in a car accident that severely injured two elderly women. He was also severely hurt, and he would withdraw himself as leader on the advice of his doctors. Nixon then put his name forward, and no one ran against him, making him the new leader of the party on January 7, 1967. He would have a baptism by fire to learn the ropes before the election came along in October. As per usual, the NDP was led by Donald MacDonald, who had been leading the party since 1953 and had helped it grow slowly in the legislature with each election. Overall, the election was described as dull, with no major issues dominating election talk. Charles Lynch would write, quote, René Lévesque draws more space for quitting the Quebec Liberal Party than Robert Nixon gets for leading the Liberal Party in Ontario. Premier Donald Johnson gets more attention with a statement about Honolulu than Premier Robarts gets from a seemingly endless series of election speeches, end quote. The Hamilton Spectator would write of the election, quote, Ontario elections can put you to sleep. Candidates and parties just can't seem to crack the indifference barrier. Yet, if a provincial election is to be taken with the same degree of concern as Thursday's garbage collection, democracy is in trouble, end quote. Robarts would notice the apathy for the election and would state that the election campaigns had, quote, failed to resolve itself around any single issue in debate or has tended to become diffuse, end quote. This doesn't mean it was free of anger or drama, though. Robarts would attack MacDonald, whose party was growing in popularity, especially as the federal leader was the highly popular Tommy Douglas. Robarts would state that the NDP claim that the progressive conservatives have ignored Northern Ontario was completely false. He would call the party a harbinger of doom. At one point, Robarts found himself facing an angry demonstration of people picketing against his home ownership made easy plan. About 20 people with the Building Trades Council protested stating that the plan would give work to non-union speculators. The plan allowed medium-income families to acquire low-cost housing with a small down payment, and this would not be the last protest over the matter that Robarts would have to deal with. Also during the campaign, two foster children were also taken from the home, by force, of Mrs. Arthur Timbrell, and Robarts had to order an official inquiry into the affair. The topic of northern voters seemed to be one of the more popular ones as each party leader tried to woo the voters to their side. The Brantford newspaper wrote, quote, A lackluster campaign with no issues raised by the ruling Conservatives, the Liberals, or the New Democrats has increased the importance of local issues, and of those, the most common complaint is that a riding is in a forgotten part of the province, end quote. Robarts would state that he was sick and tired of hearing such complaints, stating his party treated all parts of the province equally. Nixon would propose that a Northern Development Committee be created to help deal with Northern issues such as subsidized power rates and highway development. And MacDonald would state that the area needed a special Northern Affairs Minister and a Crown Corporation to speed the development of resources in the area. At the time, Northern Ontario had 14 ridings. Throughout the campaign, Robarts would promise several things, which was criticized by Nixon as not being feasible. He would state, quote, Surely this is the sort of politicaling which went out in the dirty 30s. This is the taxpayer's money he is spending. End quote. Robarts, for the most part, would have a low-key campaign. The Kingston Week Standard wrote, quote, Premier John Robarts has been handshaking his way through hamlets, towns, and cities, speaking to as many high school students as to adults, propounding his favorite theme, you've never had it so good. End quote. 
Nixon traveled everywhere he could in the province, even meeting with university students, and he would also state that he supported lowering the voting age, which at the time was set at 21. This is also the first election where pollution in the environment was becoming an issue, albeit at a much less level than seen today. Nixon would promise to establish a summit between Ontario, Quebec, and the American states along the Great Lakes to find a common approach to deal with pollution. Matthew Diamond, the health minister for the province, would also announce that beginning in 1969, all cars sold in Ontario had to have devices to control exhaust fumes. Television would continue to grow in importance in Ontario elections, and Nixon would urge that there be a debate on television. This was one year before the first federal election debate would happen. Nixon would urge Robarts to debate with him on television, which the Premier had refused to do before. Nixon would state he was shocked over the refusal, stating, quote, After all, John Robarts is an effective orator. Quote. He would say after the election that the lack of a debate was a regret. He would state, quote, I would like to have seen an opportunity for Mr. Robarts, Mr. McDonald, and myself to discuss the issues in person. I was under the impression that Mr. Robarts would have been willing to do this, but his advisors were opposed to the idea. End quote. In the October 17, 1967 election, the Conservatives won their eighth straight majority government but lost eight seats in the process to finish with 69. Two seats lost belonged to cabinet ministers in Robarts' government. Robarts would say little of the election, only stating that his party would, quote, be back in business today at the same old stand, end quote. The Liberals had a good election under the new leader, gaining four more seats to finish with 28 as the party continued to claw its way back from its low point in the 1940s. Nixon would state, quote, I believe the strength of our caucus has been improved. I think the future looks good, end quote. The NDP had its best year so far since it was the official opposition in the 1940s when the party surged ahead with 13 more seats, finishing the election with 20 in total. MacDonald stated, quote, With about 20 seats and the Liberals 27, all we needed was a swing of four seats and we would have been the opposition, end quote. The election would be bittersweet for MacDonald, who had taken the party from only two seats when he became leader in 1953 to its current level of 20. That was the most seats the party had since 1943. MacDonald would be out as leader in 1970, though, as he stepped away to prevent a divisive fight in the party as Stephen Lewis was rising up and wanting to become leader of the party. MacDonald would serve as the party president from 1971 to 1975 and would remain in the legislature until 1982. He is often considered to be the best premier Ontario never had. This would also be the last election for Robarts, who would retire in 1971, just prior to the next election. He would be succeeded by a new man, who would lead the party throughout the 1970s and into the 1980s. 1971 Since the 1930s, each decade had been dominated by one premier in Ontario. The 1930s had Mitchell Hepburn. The 1940s began a string of conservative premiers who led the province. The 1940s had George Drew, while the 1950s was the time of Leslie Frost. The 1960s was when John Robarts was in power, and when the 1970s came along, it was time for a new Conservative Premier to take over, and this time, the mantle fell to Bill Davis. After the retirement of Robarts, Davis was elected as the new leader of the party on March 1, 1971. First elected in 1959 at the age of only 30, he was initially a backbencher, but he would soon find himself as the Minister of Education under the government of Robarts. As Education Minister, he would oversee a spending increase of 454% between 1962 and 1971, along with the opening of hundreds of schools. 
He also oversaw the amalgamation of the school boards from 3,676 in 1962 to only 192 in 1967. In the leadership race on February 13, 1971, he won the leadership of the party by only 44 votes over Alan Lorris. As Premier, he would immediately bring in his campaign team to serve as his principal advisors. This group would become known as the Big Blue Machine. Only three months after he became Premier, Davis announced that the Spadina Expressway project in downtown Toronto would not go through as it was highly unpopular among area residents. In July 1971, he created the first Minister of Environment post in the provincial government, and on August 31st, he rejected a proposal to grant full funding to Ontario's Catholic high schools, which were publicly funded only to grade 10. On September 13, 1971, still new to the post of Premier, Davis announced that the province would be going into an election. Davis would state, quote, We are, as all of us recognized, undergoing a different period in Canada's history. National problems not of our making and external decisions not of our choosing all combine to present difficulties and challenges to our provincial economy. End quote. The Big Blue Machine would spend $6 million on its campaign, putting the image of Davis in nearly every area of the province. Many expected that Davis would not win the election. Not only was he new to the Premier's chair, but across Canada, six of the eight provincial governments to call an election since 1969 had seen a change of government. The issue of separate schools, something not seen as an issue in the province since the 1890s, would come up. At one point at a campaign stop in Toronto, a Hungarian man asked Davis why Ontario couldn't have separate schools when other provinces had them. An aide working for Davis would lead the man away before Davis could answer. Another man at the same stop would tell Davis not to extend grants to separate schools beyond grade 10, and that if he kept to that, he would have his vote. The Liberals were still led by Robert Nixon, who had brought success to the party with more seats gained in the 1967 election. The hope was that with the new leader in Davis, the Liberals could make inroads with voters and maybe even win the election. Nixon would disagree with Davis over the expressway and the separate schools issue in the province. Nixon would also welcome the election call, stating, quote, The concept of change that the people can trust appeals to me. We are confident that our organization is at peak efficiency and that we will win." End quote. On the NDP side of things, Stephen Lewis was the new leader. He had succeeded popular politician and leader Donald MacDonald the previous year. First elected in the legislature in 1963 at the age of 26, he was part of a youth movement for the party as it headed into another decade. Lewis would agree with Davis in cancelling the expressway, but disagreed with him over the issue of separate schools. During the election, Davis would announce several job creation proposals which Liberals would contend was stolen from their own platform that was announced weeks earlier. Nixon would state, quote, I believe what it does is that it reinforces what I was saying in the first few weeks of the campaign, while Mr. Davis was saying wait and see, end quote. Davis was also greeted by protests at many of his stops. At the Richmond Community Hall, hecklers yelled at him during one campaign stop. In Smith's Hall, he had to delay his lunch half an hour due to protesters, and outside Perth, Roman Catholic students and nuns were picketing him, and in Carp, someone hung a sign across street lamps that stated, quote, Oh, we made lots of graft from regional government. It pays all our expenses. End quote. At a rally in Canada, separate school supporters had to be quieted so that Davis could make a statement. Nixon would continually attack Davis over the separate schools, calling it unfair. Nixon stated that he would extend it to grade 13 if elected. Davis would reply, quote, 
I find the government's position is not completely understood by everyone, and it may be necessary from time to time to clarify it. End quote. Lewis would actually speak to several large crowds in the province, including his largest crowd, when 1,500 people came to see him at the London Centennial Hall, typically a stronghold of progressive conservatives. Lewis would tell the crowd, quote, The new Democratic Party has a machine and I'm looking at it. It is a lot stronger than all the dollars the Tories can amass. The Tories don't understand Ontario anymore, end quote. He would also call Davis Pierre Elliott Davis, stating he was a man who promised nothing and would keep that promise if elected. On October 5, 1971, the first televised debate in Ontario's history was held with the three leaders speaking to voters. The first 45 minutes was a question-and-answer period, and the last 15 minutes was less structured. Davis would state he was frustrated with the format. He would state, quote, I was not always able to reply to charges directed at the government, end quote. Nixon would also criticize the format, stating that the time limit was not enough for each speaker and there was not a winner, just three people exchanging reviews. End quote. Lewis would be happy with his performance but felt the debate itself was not interesting. He would say, quote, We were great, but the format was dully, listless, and ridiculous. End quote. At the end of the debate, CBC received 11 phone calls, four which were favorable and seven that were unfavorable. Most of the criticism was over the format itself. CFTO received 84 calls, 33 of which had a favorable reaction, 23 that were unfavorable, as well 21 people called in asking if they could ask a question, and 10 asked if Ironside would be shown. This election was also the first where the voting age had been lowered from 21 to 18, bringing in another 412,000 voters. On the October 21, 1971 election, 117 members of the Legislative Assembly were elected. The majority of those came from the Progressive Conservatives, who picked up a gain of nine seats to finish with 78. This was the highest total for the party since 1955, when Leslie Frost won 84. The party would not see this many seats elected again until 1995. Davis, who was said to be grinning from ear to ear, stated that he was, quote, very humbled, very gratified, end quote. From his position atop the Ontario political scene, Premier Davis agrees that the quality of the opposition, not their numbers, is the most important factor, although try telling that to the defeated candidates. But the Premier has already recognized that the sheer weight of his majority, 78 seats to a combined 39, could be his biggest problem. With 28 years of rule already under the Tory belt, how to overcome the inherent complacency to govern efficiency, efficiently and economically? Mr. Davis feels his party's campaign emphasizing leadership and its handling of the economy paved the way to his majority. Our organization was enthusiastic across the province. We'd spent a lot of time in the past six months really rebuilding right from the ground up uh, in many ridings. Our own campaign organization, a lot of the people were, were new. They were very enthusiastic and uh, worked extremely hard. As far as the campaign itself is concerned, uh, I'd like to think that our own campaign in its positive way, and I believe it was positive, constructive, um, emphasizing the question of the economy, and uh, certainly I think the question of leadership was uh, um, part of the reason for the results. I guess there are many others, but uh, they would be two of them. Leadership you mentioned, then, is the, is the, the feeling that maybe the voters didn't want to change governments because of the uncertainty over the economy, is that it? I think, I think this was part of it. Um, I think that the the government demonstrated uh, the change really had taken place, uh, that the existing administration had uh, 
the ability to deal with the situation and that the alternatives um, really didn't, they weren't such that um, the voters felt that a change was necessary from that standpoint. As I say, it's very hard to assess, and there'll be a lot of expert opinions ventured on it as to um, why the success. Um, but I think the two factors I mentioned, the economy and the question of leadership, were parts of it at least. Now Mr. Davis is talking about the need for legislature reform and the urgency of finding ways of increasing the commitment of individual MPs, possibly through an extension of the committee system. The Liberals, despite continually increasing their seat total from a low of eight seats in 1951 to the high of 28 seats in 1967, lost eight seats in the election to finish with 20, the party's lowest total since 1955. Nixon would state, quote, it looks like old Les Frost was right. I have no regrets at all, but I feel Ontario may not well be served by a small opposition in the House. End quote. The NDP would also suffer in the election after continually gaining seats since they had only two in 1951. The party lost one seat, falling to 19. Not a lot, but still a downward trend that was not welcomed by the party. The total amount of voters for the election was 3.6 million, a record for the time, amounting to 65% of the eligible voters. One vote that Davis received was from his wife Kathleen, an American citizen who voted for the first time in an Ontario election. One interesting aspect of this election was that it was the first time the provincial election was held on a Thursday. From that point on, except in 2007, every election has been held on a Thursday. 1975 Change would be coming to Ontario politics, and that change would be first seen in the election that came this year. After the past two elections were relatively sedate affairs, the 1975 election would be much more bitter. Bill Davis had had a first term that was considered to be little in the way of successful, and a series of scandals would weaken his government with the public. There were allegations that a company was given special consideration for a Toronto development project in return for donations to the Progressive Conservatives. Another scandal was that Gerhard Moog, a friend of Davis, had received a $44.4 million contract to build the Ontario Hydro Head Office. As well, Attorney General Dalton Bales and Solicitor General John Yermeko were all accused of conflicts of interest over the government approval of developments for properties they owned. The scandals would begin to erode the confidence of the public in the government, which was seen in the fact that the Progressive Conservatives lost four by-elections in 1973 and 1974. As the 1975 election approached, Davis would impose a 90-day freeze on energy prices, reduce the provincial sales tax from 7-5% to temporarily, and put in rental controls in the province. Even with the rental controls, though, the cost of rent would prove to be a major issue for the entire election. The election would also be the first in which spending controls were in place for the parties. The Election Expenses Act had been passed and limited how much was spent on political advertising and limited spending to 21 days preceding Election Day. Each party was only allowed to spend $2.6 million on ads. 
The progressive conservatives would campaign on the slogan of your future, your choice. The liberals and new democratic parties were still led by their leaders from the last election, Robert Nixon and Stephen Lewis. The new democratic party would run on the slogan of tomorrow starts today and ran its campaign before the election calling for rent controls, highlighting the stories of people who had to deal with bad landlords who imposed massive rent increases. The pressure of the rent controls issue from the new democrats would result in Davis coming to that decision to impose rent controls just before the election. As I mentioned before, this election was quite bitter, especially between Davis and Nixon. Nixon would state that Davis was providing a daily handout of election goodies that were nothing but, quote, rotten, bad practice for a democracy. That approach is going to cost him the election, end quote. Davis would attack Nixon right back, stating the... Davis would attack Nixon... Davis would attack Nixon right back, stating the attacks were nothing more than destructive criticism. Davis would tell reporters, quote, Unfortunately, from time to time, there comes along a public figure, desperate to achieve higher office, who is willing to resort to almost any tactic in order to achieve his ends. End quote. Nixon would pledge that his government would save taxpayers $40 million by chopping 10% off of the $400 million in government administrative costs. He also announced he would kill the Judy LaMarche Commission on Television Violence. Throughout the election campaign, billboards showed the image of Nixon to entrench him in voters' minds. Throughout the election campaign, billboards showed the image of Nixon to entrench him in voter minds. Polls also showed that his party was well ahead of the progressive conservatives in the election. In the televised debate, it was considered to be one of the most bitter debates in the province's history. Davis stated that Nixon was lying to the people of Ontario, and Nixon stated that Davis was trying to buy a re-election with public money. The two men would constantly interrupt each other, and at one point, Nixon stated that he was running a good campaign, and he would state, quote, I know you don't like our ads, and frankly, I don't like yours, but at least we've got people interested, end quote. Davis responded, quote, It has not been a good campaign. Your campaign has been one of the worst I have seen in my history in politics, founded on misrepresentation, inaccuracies, and, on occasion, deliberate falsehoods, end quote. Many would consider the debate, a round-robin type of debate in which the parties debated each other one-on-one rather than all three together, a win for the NDP. One campaign worker for the Liberals would say after the election, quote, The debate helped destroy us in Toronto. Nixon and Davis both lost out, and it boosted the NDP, end quote. Davis also dealt with plenty of angry voters during his campaign stops. At one stop in St. Thomas on September 1st, a man named Harry Walters yelled, quote, How can you break the law when no one else can? End quote. He was referring to the fact that the Premier's campaign bus was parked where it blocked traffic on another street. The Premier stated, quote, I didn't park it. End quote. During a call-in show, Davis was asked which party he would want to work with, and he would state neither. He then added regarding Nixon, stating he had, quote, the nastiest campaign I have known in politics, negative, personal, and full of falsehoods and misrepresentation. End quote. While the Liberals and Progressive Conservatives attacked each other constantly, Lewis and the New Democratic Party did its best to stay out of the fray. Lewis would also provide a string of last-minute promises as the election day neared. The Ottawa Journal wrote, quote, In short, the NDP has run a campaign of restraint and even respectability, ironically, the most dignified of the three parties, and it is at least intriguing to wonder what reward this will bring them. End quote. At one point, Lewis and Nixon crossed paths on the campaign trail on August 15th. Nixon would state as the two shook hands at the airport, quote, I want to ask you about your integrity. End quote. Lewis replied with a grin, quote, 
you handle it, end quote. Lewis would put most of his attacks against landlords in the province. He would state at one point, quote, I have a message for the landlords. The rent examples I choose are becoming more and more representative of what's happening in this province in the major urban settings. It clobbers working families. It takes the stuffing out of working families. It eats up pay increases, and the landlords don't deserve it. They don't need it. End quote. At one point, Lewis had a throat infection and fever, but he still traveled to three cities covering 800 kilometers in one day. It was not until the end of the election campaign that Lewis would begin to attack other parties, and he focused mostly on the Liberals. This was because he saw the Progressive Conservatives as a party on the decline. He also ridiculed reports in the press that the Progressive Conservatives were asking him to attack the Liberals. In a poll just before the election, the Liberals were at 23%, the Conservatives at 19%, and the NDP at 15%. In the September 18, 1975 election, the Progressive Conservatives took a nosedive in support. For the first time since 1945, they lost their majority in the legislature, falling by 27 seats to 51. That seat count was the lowest the party had seen since its 38 seats in 1943. The loss of 27 seats was the sharpest drop for the party in its seat count since the party's collapse in the 1929 election, when it went from 92 seats to only 17. The victory party of Davis was more subdued than it was exciting. That being said, Davis would state that he was not completely surprised by the election result. In his speech, Davis would speak to Lewis, stating, quote, I say to Mr. Lewis, he waged a very constructive campaign. If this is carried forward, we look forward to a progressive government. End quote. The New Democratic Party, meanwhile, saw its support surge with a gain of 19 seats. This pushed the party to 38 seats, marking the highest total for the party in its existence, four more than it won in 1943. And for the first time since 1948, the party was also the official opposition. Lewis would state in his speech, quote, It is wonderful for a change to have a political rather than a moral victory. This is the end of personal abuse in Ontario politics as far as I am concerned. End quote. The Liberals, while falling to third place in the legislature, still had a very successful election, rising to 36 seats for a gain of 16 seats in the election. The 36 seats was the most party... The 36 seats was the most the party had enjoyed in the legislature since Mitchell Hepburn led the party to 66 seats in the 1937 election. Nixon would state there would be no alliance with the NDP, adding, quote, It may last months, maybe a couple years, but we'll be in election before four years is up. It is traditional for our party to maintain its independence. There will be no alliance. People feel well served by the three-party system, end quote. With this third election loss in a row, Nixon would answer about his future, stating, quote, I'll have to wait and see what happens in the future, end quote. Asked how long the minority government would last, Davis would tell reporters, quote, I'm optimistic it can work for a period of time, end quote. As it turned out, the next election would come about in less than two years. As for Nixon, after this loss, the young dynamic leader of the Liberal Party would be out as party leader. Nixon would resign as leader in 1976, but he stayed within provincial politics. He would stay in politics until 1991, long enough to see the Liberal Party return to ruling the province. 1977 After the first minority government for the Conservatives in decades, it was no surprise when another election came along in a very short amount of time. Bill Davis continued to serve as Premier and the leader of the Progressive Conservatives, and he headed into the next election with the hopes of gaining majority government for the party once again. He had called an election in order to take advantage of the 1976 Quebec general election, that saw the party Quebecois come to power. 
I am pleased to rise on the last night of this parliament uh, to participate in... in, uh, in uh, Ontario becomes the scene of the first provincial election since the Parti Québécois came to power on November 15th. Mr. Mr. Chairman, I'm doing my very best not to be provoked, uh, because I or or provocative. But out of deference to you, so am I. Out of deference to you, in that you suggested that I I speak. Mr. Chairman, I I don't know what the night will really determine, but I I don't. I don't. I. I mean, I, I live in hope that sweet reason will prevail, but I, I somehow doubt it. As a result I, of last night's defeat in the House on a key provision of our rent control and tenant protection program, I have been to see Her Honor, the Lieutenant Governor, and have asked that the legislature be dissolved and an election writ issued. Her Honor has concurred. A provincial election will be held on June the 9th, 1977. On the surface... This looks like an ordinary provincial election, but the national implications are clear. Quebec has singled out Ontario as the province it most needs to maintain good relations with. The leader of a strong Ontario government could be in the position to establish the pattern of relations between the other provinces and Quebec. Sunday morning asked Jonathan Manthorpe, the Queen's Park columnist for the Toronto Star, to assess Premier Davis' motives for going to the polls. It was not an accident that a few hours before William Davis announced there would be an election in Ontario, that the results of a government opinion poll on Quebec separation were leaked out. This was the final piece of orchestration to try and convince the public that after 18 months of minority government, it was now necessary for the Conservatives to ask for a majority in the House. Over the past few weeks, Tory gurus had worked hard at creating the picture of Davis as an embattled Premier, hemmed in by snarling opposition forces. Here was a man continually blocked from setting the province on the course towards prosperity and its natural birthright by the negative carping of the Liberals and New Democrats. It was not a convincing picture. Davis was already assured of sufficient support from the opposition to allow the passage of both his basic legislative program and his budget. What he finally produced as the ultimate insult that necessitated an election was a 2% squibble over allowable rent increases. Although Davis is riding high in the polls, and it seems certain that he will have little difficulty in gaining those 11 seats he needs to give his party a majority, he needed to present the voters with some issue of moment, something that would make the election look less like a callous rush for power. The issue of national unity was a natural one. Even as a minority leader, Davis has established himself as the spokesman for English Canada in the debate on Confederation. The government poll revealed that most Ontarians want Quebec to stay in Confederation and that they believe in increasing bilingual services in Ontario. As Davis made plain in his statement announcing the election, Ontarians are now going to be asked to give Davis the job of pursuing their goal of national unity. What makes it such a beautiful issue for Davis is that he has the almost complete support of the opposition parties in his approach to Quebec. Davis can now stomp the province, calling for a mandate to face off with Rennie Levesque, while the opposition leaders, Stephen Lewis and Stuart Smith, are left twiddling their thumbs. 
the issues of the economy, of jobs, of housing will still be there, but they will take second place to the question of leadership at a time of national crisis. This election is the first referendum on Quebec separation, and the natural way for Ontarians to vote for unity is to give the Conservatives yet another majority in the legislature. This is Jonathan Manthorpe at the CBC studios at Queen's Park. For the NDP, Stephen Lewis was still at the helm and still popular with the party. After the success of the 1975 election, there were hopes the party could gain more seats and even contend for leadership of the province. As for the Liberals, their decades-long saga of difficulty seemed to reverse in 1975, but that didn't save Robert Nixon, as I mentioned. Now the party was led by Stuart Smith. He may not be known, but he had a massive impact on Canada in one particular way. In 1965, he was looking to gain the nomination to run as the MP in Mount Royal for the Liberal Party. He would withdraw his name, though, so that a man named Pierre Elliott Trudeau could run instead without strong opposition. Trudeau won the election in the riding and would go on to serve as Prime Minister, of course. In 1975, Stewart would be elected to the legislature, and when Nixon announced he was stepping down from his role as leader, Stewart put his name in to replace him. On January 23, 1976, 2,000 Liberal delegates cast their votes, and after three rounds, Smith emerged as the winner with 51.2% of the vote. As leader, and still a rookie MP, Smith would have his competence tested almost immediately in the legislature. In the speech to the throne, the NDP made a motion to condemn the position of the government. Smith, not consulting his party, made a sub-amendment to the NDP motion to also condemn the government. This motion, if passed then, would bring down the government and trigger an election. The NDP and Liberals voted to defeat the government 70-48 to on the Liberal Amendment, but the Liberals voted with the Progressive Conservatives on the NDP Amendment, preventing the government from falling. Smith then tended to have a more subdued campaign, not putting out any major policy changes and not attacking Davis as much as his predecessor Nixon had. He would state he was, quote, Sitting tight, I'll have to see what the other two leaders do. My temptation is to say there will be no major policy statements. End quote. Smith would state that he sensed there was a change on the horizon and that he was hopeful the party could finally end 34 years of progressive conservative dominance in the legislature. The conservatives would funnel $20 million into the campaign in order to get a majority government once again. Davis would also travel 48,000 kilometers across the province during the five-week campaign, good enough for one trip and a bit around the earth. The party ran on the slogan of, Your Future, Your Choice. The Liberals would change the slogan to, quote, Your Children's Future and Your Choice, end quote. Davis put most of his attacks on the NDP, feeling that Smith was not a real threat to his party. He would tell voters that if the NDP were elected, it would be nothing but an increase in personal taxes, poor private sector growth, and unchecked bureaucracy. He also stated he was the best option for the province in handling the growing crisis of Quebec separation. Lewis would contradict this by stating that his NDP government would offer $100 million in tax cuts. Job creation was a major issue for the election, with Smith offering to create 100,000 new jobs in three years. Lewis would unroll a $280 million economic improvement plan, and Davis stated that his government had created over 700,000 jobs over the previous six years that he had been in power. The development of the northern portions of Ontario was again an election issue, and Davis would place the blame on the lack of development on the NDP, stating that the party had frustrated the government's attempts to bring its economic development and jobs. 
During the campaign, Davis was often on the defensive to defend his government's record from the previous six years, including the $7.2 billion debt of the province. At one point on the election campaign, a heckler handed a petition to Davis, interrupting the speech for 10 minutes. Then he suddenly collapsed and was attended to by Dr. Richard Potter, the former health minister. In Oshawa, NDP supporters heckled Davis during a speech. Davis would actually invite the hecklers aboard the media bus following him around, saying it made him look good. Lewis was very hopeful heading into the election, with poll numbers showing that the party sat at 30%, 1% more than its poll numbers from the previous election. Lewis would state, quote, We walk into this election finale with the highest standing this party has ever had in its history. End quote. The campaign wasn't all smooth sailing for the likable Lewis, though. At one point, he was greeted with protesters who were concerned with the future of the Menaki Lodge in Kenora. The Davis government wanted to spend $20 million to get the lodge renovated and fixed up, while Lewis wanted it to be sold to private investors. There was also another televised debate, with Smith being seen as the chief victim due to the fact that his sound system was not working properly. Of those who watched the debate, 66% were unimpressed with the leaders or the points raised. In the June 9, 1977 election, the Progressive Conservatives picked up seven more seats, but remained a minority government. Davis would tell his supporters at a subdued celebration, quote, I am confident the other leaders will join me in pursuing for our province an aggressive program to sustain our country, end quote. With some speculation he may not stay in power because of two election disappointments, Davis said, quote, I intend to stay on as leader of the party, end quote. Former Prime Minister John Diefenbaker would give his opinion of the election, blaming it on Dalton Camp, the man who was once his supporter and then ousted him from the leadership of the party. He stated, quote, It is not the first time Mr. Camp has been wrong, end quote. The Liberal Party would lose one seat, but thanks to the fact that the new Democratic Party lost five seats, the Liberals formed the official opposition once again in the legislature. Lewis would state, quote, in the NDP, we bleed a little and then we get back to fight again. I cannot conceal, it would not be honest, my own personal feeling of disappointment that our own showing was not better. You take your lumps in politics. End quote. Smith, in contrast, would claim victory over the election as his party moved back into second place. He would state, quote, The people decided to deny Davis's majority. This is a victory for us and now, possibly as the official opposition. We will do our best to make this the best possible government. End quote. Two notable things also happened during the election. The first was that Sheila Copps ran for the first time in politics, losing in her riding though. She would go on to become a federal cabinet minister and the deputy prime minister of Canada. Jim Bradley was also elected for the first time in this election, and he would hold his seat of St. Catharines until 2018, the second longest tenure of any MPP in the province's history after Harry Nixon, who had served from 1919 to 1961. Former Premier John Robarts would state, quote, Davis won and lost. Smith lost and won. Lewis lost and lost, end quote. For Lewis, after taking his party to success initially and then falling back in this election, his time as leader would come to an end. He would step down as a leader of the party and a member of the legislature. After politics, he would go on to work for the CBC radio and then serve as the Canadian ambassador to the United Nations in the mid-1980s. 1981 as the calendar swung over to a new decade, Ontario was ready to head into another election. It would be the fourth election in a decade for the province, and once again, Bill Davis was hoping to gain a majority that eluded him for the past two elections. 
Liberals were once again led by Stuart Smith, who hoped to continue on the success of the previous election. The NDP no longer had Stephen Lewis at the helm, as he had resigned as leader following the two election defeats. He would be replaced by Michael Cassidy in 1978. Cassidy had been elected to the legislature in 1971 and took over from the popular Lewis as the party had suffered losses in the previous election. Taking over from Lewis was not easy for Cassidy. Lewis was known for his charisma and dynamic personality, while Cassidy was known for having a dry personality. He was also quite left-wing and was not fully trusted by the party establishment. Many in the party tried to encourage him to resign before the election, but he would ignore this. Support for the NDP would also fall, from a poll in June 1977 when it sat at 30% to 21% by February 1981. McLean's would write on February 9, 1981, quote, Cassidy has been a lackluster leader with a weak image, especially compared to the party's former leader, Stephen Lewis. End quote. The following month, McLean's doubled down, stating, quote, Cassidy, who is about as colorful as a deep sleep on the stump, plods along, lecturing mainly to the commitment of the virtues of the Crown Corporations, maintenance of rent controls, a higher minimum wage, and the dangers posed by doctors billing over the Medicare fee schedule. End quote. Davis kicked off the election campaign in early February, but just a few days prior, he promised to inject $1.5 billion in economic stimulation over the next five years into the economy. For many, that was the indication that an election was imminent. In fact, in the week leading up to the election, the Conservatives would have a series of announcements for spending. The Liberals had to quickly organize a press conference when the election was called, but the Conservatives were already ahead of the game. This would also be the first winter election in Ontario's history since 1926. During the election, the NDP and Liberals would make the economy the key issue and highlighting 10 years of Davis government and what they felt were the problems with his leadership. Things did not get off well for Davis. At his nomination meeting for his riding in front of 500 supporters, a group of hospital workers began to yell strike over and over, angry that the government had crushed their strike and suspended 2,500 hospital workers while firing union leaders. Davis would say, quote, You will not intimidate me. The law of this province is very clear. You may disagree with it, but that's the law. The law is simple. The law says hospital workers do not have the right to strike. End quote. Mr. Davis was introduced by the federal conservative leader, Joe Clark, who said Mr. Davis was a leader in the tradition of the party. The shouts of We Want Bill were interrupted by a group of university students who shouted, Save us from Davis, and the premier went back into his political past for the answer to the students. Listen, students, can I give you a little advice? Can I give you some advice? That was the slogan that my liberal candidate used against me in 1959. He was defeated then, and you ain't going to save anybody from anything with this performance tonight. Mr. Davis told the students who were protesting against existing university fees that they should be happy they lived in a province that pays 85% of their university education. Rick Walburn, CBC News, Ottawa. While that may have seemed like a rough start, in the end, it helped Davis. In a poll a week after the incident, many liked the image of Davis projected, stating he looked like a leader. Early in the 80s, all over the world, the economic picture is uncertain. Right now, here at home, the caliber of our leadership has never mattered more. Leadership. To meet the challenges we face, 
to keep our economy growing, to build on our skills and improve our productivity to compete in the world, to secure a fair price for our immediate energy needs, and look now to the needs of the future, to hold down the cost of government and foster a spirit of enterprise. Now, more than ever, we need a leader with confidence in Ontario's potential and the strength to realize this promise. One man can make a difference. On March 19th, vote for the future we want, the leader we need to make it happen. Support the Davis government. Davis would promise millions of dollars for a variety of projects. He would pledge $45 million to mining projects, $600 million to farmers, and huge sums of money into power generation in the province. Smith would say of Davis he was smug, unimaginative, and incapable of dealing with problems that didn't exist decades ago. There would be no debate this election after Davis set a deadline during the 44-day election for the networks to agree on a format. When they couldn't, he cancelled the debate. One reason that the debate may have been cancelled was because Smith came across well on the television. Davis would focus nearly all of his attacks on Smith, when the two were described as having an open dislike for each other. At one point, Davis said, quote, When the leader of the opposition says we have a crummy manufacturing sector, he's not criticizing me, he's criticizing the small businessman, the small and the big industry right across the province, end quote. He would often refer to Smith as Dr. Negative because Smith often attacked the Conservatives stating they had led the province to economic ruin. Smith would fire back stating, quote, I believe that the failure of economic leadership, which we have witnessed over the Davis decade, is the direct result of deep and pervasive complacency, a fundamental smugness and an arrogance of power, a willingness to rest on past laurels, end quote. Despite the numbers showing lagging support for the NDP, Cassidy would state that he saw the party making a comeback and rumors of its death were exaggerated. Cassidy would state, quote, If people were positive about our prospects, I might have some misgivings, end quote. Smith would also be optimistic as well. Staying in the party had the clearest shot at the progressive conservatives since the Second World War. He would state, quote, The two important factors we have going for us politically are that the NDP is out of it, and for the first time, the government will have to defend its record at a time when prosperity is seen to be leaving us very quickly. End quote. Cassidy would attempt to show a more relaxed manner late in the election, often joking with reporters. In the Muskoka region, he would tell reporters that it was there he met his first love, learned to play pinball, and crashed his motorcycle. Cassidy would also say that his new confidence and relaxed style was because of how the campaign was going. He would state, quote, For a while at the beginning, the other two leaders were bashing each other to death, and there seemed to be more drama there. End quote. There were hiccups for Cassidy, though, through the election. One of the worst was when he tried to meet with the officials at the Purley Hospital to convince them to rehire 37 laid-off non-medical workers. He would call five times and leave four messages, all of which were ignored, making him look bad on the campaign trail. By the time the election was only a couple days away, polls showed the Conservatives sat at 37%, while the Liberals had 22%, and the NDP had 13%. Most experts were expecting a Conservative majority. Smith would respond to the poll, stating he didn't trust the poll. He would state, quote, The momentum is strictly with us now. The public is being turned off by Mr. Davis jingles, television advertisements and giveaways, and I believe we are making great progress, and we certainly can win. End quote. In the March 19, 1981 election, Davis was finally able to win his majority government once again. His party's seats would rise by 12 to 70, 
and all of those seats came at the expense of the NDP. Davis would state, quote, I sense the people of Ontario have said, we believe in economic progress. We believe in the commitments to move the economy of this province ahead. We believe in the explicit commitments that have been made, and we also understand that it is part of your responsibility to see that the sensitivity, the humanity, the social justice of this province are maintained. And I say to the people of Ontario, I accept that responsibility. End quote. The Liberals lost no seats, but gained no seats, finishing with 33 as they had in the 1977 election, and they remained the official opposition. Smith would state, quote, I would have liked to have formed the government in one step, but it might, unfortunately, require two steps. I look forward, I can assure you, to being the leader of the opposition, which the people of Ontario have elected me as again, end quote. Smith had stated that he would resign if the party did not do well in the election, and he would keep that promise, resigning as leader and leaving the legislature in January 1982. His successor would be David Peterson. Smith would be credited with transforming the party from a rurally-based conservative party to an urban political force that increased its electorate. And it was because of Smith that the party would suddenly come roaring back by the next election. The NDP suffered badly under the new leader, losing 12 seats, all of which went to the Progressive Conservatives. Cassidy would barely win his own riding, beating his Progressive Conservative opponent by only 599 votes. The loss of 12 seats negated all of the gains the party had made throughout the 1970s. Cassidy would state, quote, All of us are disappointed. It's been a setback for our party. Together we have our work cut out, both to fight on the issues in the legislature and to build our party across Ontario for the next provincial election. End quote. Shortly after the election, Cassidy stepped down and was replaced by Bob Ray, the man who would take the NDP to its greatest success. That is a story for the fifth and final part of our series. I hope you enjoyed part four or five of every Ontario election in history. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Keelan Pregnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Ottawa Daily Citizen, Wikipedia, Ontario Legislative Assembly, Elections Ontario, Maclean's, Montreal Star, Montreal Gazette, Kingston British Whig, Hamilton Spectator, Winnipeg Free Press, Winnipeg Tribune, Owen Sound Times, St. Catherine Standard, and the Windsor Star. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.